Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 193. Today, our guest is Ollie Gardner from Unbounce. Uh, Ollie, for those who don't know you, uh, give us just a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do. Sure. Thanks for having me on. I'm the co-founder of Unbounce. There are six of us, which is weird and awesome at the same time. Uh, based in Vancouver, Canada, and Unbounce is a plat- conversion platform for landing pages, overlays, and we've got a whole suite of kind of conversion tools coming out soon. It's, uh, yeah, and I'm mainly a public speaker these days. I, I run our marketing when we started the company, and now I kind of have the unfortunate job of traveling the world to awesome places and speaking to lots of marketers. Oh, it sounds dreadful. Oh, it's <laughs> horrendous. <laughs> I'd also like to introduce like my co-host, Jonathan. Uh, tell oh. us a little bit of it. Yeah, sure. Hi there, folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a WordPress support maintenance company. We're your trusted partner, aren't we, John? Absolutely. And I'm John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design, and I provide custom WordPress development and SEO to uh, businesses with a marketing department. So uh, jumping right in, all I want to ask, how did you first get into digital marketing? When we started the company, actually, I mean, I've, I've done like a million different roles, you know, from developer, designer, creative director. Then when we started the company, we needed someone to do marketing. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. Uh, it, it was a fairly natural progression. I mean, just prior to that, I'd been you know, running a usability team, interaction design, that kind of thing. So, you know, all of the experiences that people have. So it was kind of a fairly natural transition. Um, but I kind of learned on the job, though, all of the other things, you know, so like paid advertising, email marketing, all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I built the website, did all, all the writing, all the design, all that kind of stuff. Using yeah. WordPress. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, so, you know, for, for people who, who don't really know, what is the big difference between a landing page and just a ordinary page on your website and and why would you need a landing page yeah it's a very clear distinction so your website is for organic traffic it's for exploratory kind of experiences and you search for something and that's where you go Uh, a landing page on the other hand is for a marketing campaign so if you are doing any kind of marketing so you're doing email marketing or or ppc anything like that, that should be directed to a dedicated experience specific to that ad. So that's a very targeted, relevant experience. If you send, uh, let's say, a paid ad to your homepage, there's going to be either just a mismatch between what's going on there or it's maybe, maybe you have multiple products or services. And if you have an ad specifically about one thing and it comes there, you're making people choose their own adventure, trying to find what you're talking about. Maybe they can't find it. Maybe they get distracted because there's too many things and they leave. So it's really about having that really targeted experience that delivers on the promise you're making in your marketing. Well, that leads right into my next question, and that is about attention ratio. What exactly is attention ratio, and, and how does that relate to, uh, say, a homepage versus a, a inner page versus a landing page? 
the attention ratio is the ratio of the number of things you can do on a page to the number of things you should be doing. And if you're running a marketing campaign, you have one goal. So you should, there should only be one thing that you can, one choice that you can make, one call to action. So the number of links on your page is how you kind of calculate that. So on your homepage, you may have 80 links, you know, have some, lots of navigation, different promos, different features, and lots of stuff in the footer. All of those things can take someone away from where you want them to go. So, and then on an internal page on your site, it may be a bit more focused about the product that you're talking about, but again, it has all these distractions that can take people somewhere else. A landing page should have no navigation and just one thing to do. Well, actually, there are certain distractions, like interactive links, that are okay. If you have navigation on your landing page, which is internal anchor nav, so it takes you further down the page, that's great. That's actually a really great experience because it can it lets people go through the content on your page, lets them know what there is, and it's a still a contained experience. That's actually really good. And when you have that, like a sticky nav or something that follows you down, it really increases the depth to which people scroll. They'll see more of your content, and that's a really good experience. It's all about not taking someone away from what you're trying to get them to do. Definitely. Uh, another thing that's really important when you're constructing a landing page is having clarity of message. Uh, what are some common mistakes that you see people make in when they're uh, put their message? Not communicating uh, in a way that's kind of, people get too attached to what they do, um, what their product does, and they think it's really easy to understand, and they don't communicate, like your head, headlines, subhead, all of that kind of stuff. The clarity is missing because you're not communicating in a way that's accessible to your visitors, um, which is why, you know, we hear all the time, voice of customer is really important. Someone told me a great, uh, Carlos Del Rio used to work with us. He had a great idea saying, ask your customer to write your headline for you, which is brilliant. Um, but what I see most of all is, especially in software companies, is the, the main headline would be trying to be cute or clever, and if you take it in isolation, this is one of the, the key ways of testing it, uh, take it in isolation and read it out, does not make any sense? Does it explain what you do? Then most people tend to put all of this, the clarity in the subhead, kind of to make up for it, but that's, that's kind of wrong. You know, you need clarity in your main headline. Uh, I see it all the time, and if you flip them, you know, it can actually make things make a lot more sense. So really it's about having that clarity of communication so someone can understand what you do in the first few seconds. So ideally, like the, the headline for a page should be able to stand alone and, and communicate the message uh, without any additional text. Yeah, I mean, you're going to need the rest of it to continue to sell someone on actually buying this. But yet, in isolation, it should make sense. And it should match your marketing. You know, it should match the ad. It should match what you say in the email so that people know they're in the right place. Because the moment you confuse people and it doesn't appear that they're in the right place, then there's a chance, more of a chance they're going to leave. So that's actually quite simple. I mean, if you, if you have an email about a certain topic and you have a call to action in your email that says something very specific, just, just follow that through onto the headline of your landing page. That connection lets people, it confirms you're in the right place and lets them just move through the rest of the page. They, they're, I kind of, it's almost like if you're at an airport, when you get through security, one of the first things you do is you look on the map, where's my gate? 
And once you know where it is, you're like, oh, I'm comfortable now. Now I can go shopping or I can go to the bar, do whatever, because I know where I need to go. That's kind of a calming, you know, piece of information. It's the same thing. If you get to the page and it's, it communicates, oh, yeah, this is what you're promising, you get into a more relaxed state because you, you feel like you've been a little bit successful. You've got somewhere that's correct for what you're doing. And then, you, then you will explore the page more knowing that you're in the right place. I mean, if you... Some like behavior changes because of technology. One way that people search these days is they'll search for something and then they'll, because of browser technology, they'll hold their finger on the command or control key and they'll click a bunch of ads, opening pages and tabs. Then they'll, they might not even read them all. If the first one looks good, like, oh, okay, da, 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 da. then they go into comparison shopping mode where they look through each tab. And this is why that clarity is so important because if they go, what what is this? Oh, I don't know. Close. And you're done forever. There's a good chance that you'll never go back to that because it just wasn't a good experience. And if one of them is much faster than the rest at communicating it, that's the one you'll keep open. So it's about understanding behavior now uh, from a technology standpoint, as much as anything, how people are finding you or not finding you. No, definitely. That's uh, the the psychology of, uh, of that, of, of having the message, like optimizing a message. What role does design play in, in optimizing uh, a landing page for a conversion? That's a great question. Um, a lot of that comes down to a similar thing where you should be matching the visuals from, you know, from your advertising onto the page. Um, but most pages have a primary dominant image, the, the hero shot, or hero, hero image. Same as the headline. If that can't communicate what you do in isolation, then it's not actually helping, right? Um, mm-hmm. Great way of measuring this is doing a five-second test. You can do that with usability hub online, or you can do it with like, your laptop or a piece of paper. You know, you show someone for five seconds this thing, either just your above the fold experience or an image or a headline, hide it, then ask, what, the pro- what does this product or service do? If people can't recall that after that, then you have a problem, and the visuals play a part in that because they may be distracting, they might be, you know, if you look at 90% of SaaS companies online will have that background image that is like an overhead shot of a desk with a, a cup of coffee and a laptop. That doesn't tell you anything about what they do. <laughs> it's just a waste, of, a waste of time. You need something that actually adds to the experience and makes it clear what's going on. So, you know, and there's a, you can use tineye.com, put in the URL of like let's say you're a, an agency or a, or a contractor or a consultant and you're working for a client and they have terrible stock photography as their main image and you're trying to communicate why that's a bad thing you can get the url of that image go to tineye.com and it will search and it will tell you how many other websites are using that image that's evidence you can go to your your client and go 250 other websites are using the same photo do you really want to be that generic and you know, so a lot of the time when people struggle with optimization or just trying to do better marketing, it's because they run into these roadblocks of the client or their boss that they're resistant to making change because they love what you know what they have. And the more evidence you can bring, the easier your job's going to be. I love as something that you said there is you're bringing evidence. Uh, say if somebody's got like the generic uh, stock photo. Uh, in that hero image, it's been 18 million times. 
times you can bring evidence to them. Uh, so that leads me into my next question, and that's about the importance of data in testing. Uh, you know, what is a good sample size uh, of, of testing if, if a landing page is working? When do you decide to, to change elements of the page? And how do you measure that? That's one of the, that's, that's an excellent question because everybody who starts A-B testing, you start optimization and you run, you want to run a test because it's exciting. Like, oh, I think I've got a better idea than this. You know, I, I can make this perform better. Everybody gets it wrong to begin with pretty much. Hopefully we're educating people over time not to make these mistakes, but I did it. Every optimizer I know did it at some point where you start a test and there's always that immediate spike because the sample size is so low in the beginning that, you know, you've got a split 50-50 between A and B. If this gets a couple of conversions, even just three or four, boom, it suddenly is winning by this dramatic amount, but it's actually not the truth. It just hasn't run through enough times. And a lot of people react to that, go, oh, it's losing horribly, take it down, or, or it's winning, yes, success, and push it live. That's totally wrong. You need to be running it for, uh, well, actually, you can't say. I mean, it might be two, three, four weeks. The thing you need to do is use a sample size calculator. Just search for that. And that will tell you how long, how many visitors you need, how many conversions, how, how long you need to run it for. Because if you have a low traffic site, which is a very common problem, you probably can't be A-B testing. Because if you put it in there, if you only get, let's say, 700 unique visitors a month or something, your test might take 18 years to finish to be statistically significant. Uh, in that case, you shouldn't be doing it and you should be optimizing by other means. I uh, think of it like this, like every company is growing, hopefully. You don't have enough traffic in the beginning, but in six months, perhaps you will, if you're, you know, whatever trajectory you're on for growth. During that time, you should be doing research so that when you do have enough traffic, you have formed a strong hypothesis, you see what people are doing wrong, or you know, you've run some tests for clarity, like some five-second tests, or you just, you've watched some user session recordings to see how people are behaving, you've done some, put some heat maps on there, use a hot jar or something like that. That's gathering all this information, data, and evidence so that when you can run a test, you are ready, you know, so you're not blindly just testing something based on conjecture or, you know, you think you have a better headline. I remember when I started, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd run a, a headline test or a call to action test on our homepage and we'd pick seven different things that we thought, oh, this will be great. And we'd run seven of them at the same time. That's going to take forever. So and, you know, we'd look at a, a low sample size and you'd think one was performing better. And we'd, you know, and we'd try switching it in. And at the end of the day, we found for the longest time we couldn't, we couldn't beat our current headline or call to action. It didn't matter what we put in there. Perhaps because we weren't speaking to the actual benefit that we were providing to people or because our value prop is kind of simple. Build, publish, and test landing pages about IT. It's, it's pretty simple. You don't really need you know, much more than that. You need to go deeper than that and have really speak to the primary benefits that someone gets from using your product or service, which, and, and that comes down to defining and figuring out your ideal customer. Cause when you can do that, you can design an experience for them. We know that there's a certain type of customer. There's a certain types of software they use makes them ideal for us. 
so we can target our marketing, our messaging to the people who have those things. Because if we get them, they're worth more to us than other people. And the more you can focus on that, the less you're spending time, money, and marketing on those who aren't going to stay with you, you know, have the same lifetime values. So that's a critical kind of way of doing it. <laughs> Along the kind of like simple value prop thing, we did an explainer video because everybody needs an explainer video, right? I mean, <laughs> like every design trend that comes along, and this is where design is is dangerous and powerful when it comes to conversion. Um, when you have a theme, WordPress is awesome. It's the fastest way. I use it for all of my personal stuff. We use it for our website and our blog. Uh, it, it's great because it lets you get something awesome up there quickly. One of the dangers, though, is with the themes because theme designers are salespeople. They need to get as many people buying as possible, but they bloat their theme with all of these new design trends, which are unproven and can damage uh, the experience and conversions. Uh, so I lost my train of thought, but that, that's kind of, oh yeah, so the, jumping on the bandwagon, we need an explainer video. I mean, they can be great, so I'm not dissing them as a concept. It's just you shouldn't have one just for the sake of having one. We did one of the live action with an actor who at the end of the day we all hated. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was so horribly cheesy and we put it on the homepage. We were thinking this is going to change everything. We're going to convert way better. We're having so much more money because of this, this excellent video. And it did nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, it may have made it slightly worse. But then you've spent so much time and money on this that you want it there anyway. And that's that's where the the design and data thing kind of clashes and you have to be willing to throw something away that's not actually helping, even if it, you know, was something that you thought was really important. Yeah. I love how you put that about sunk cost and sunk effort. Um, one last question before we head to the break. Um, it was something you said in that last segment when you were talking about knowing your target customer and knowing your target audience uh, you're crafting a message just for them. And in your example, it was people that use a certain type of software. You knew you could target them. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of people use like social proof, whether it's testimonials or reviews or um, some sort of referral or endorsements or whatever uh, yeah. in, in landing pages. Uh, so uh, d how far does that go in, in matching up who you're using for social proof uh, in, in your pages uh, to, to matching the persona of the target customer to where they're going to be like, I recognize that person or I respect that person. Yeah. It's got to be someone that you can relate to that's relevant. That's just like you. I mean, we target agencies and in-house marketing teams. So we want social proof that, that someone from an agency talking about how unbounced software is, is making their life better for them and the success of their customers then you can really go, well, I'm, I'm in an agency. I, I want that same experience. And the key to great social proof is demonstrating the transformational impact of using your product or service. If, you know, it's the whole before after thing that, that abused thing with like health products, but there's a reason for that. And you can communicate that in nicer ways using, you know, specificity is key. Ha having the numerical evidence in there when we started using this, we are seeing a 3x, you know, return on our marketing spend, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that is the kind of information you need. 
um, I had a, I have this little kind of customer interview script, which I reverse engineered a great testimonial for all of the, the important aspects and turned that into this survey, uh, this interview script. So when you interview your customers with these questions, it will give you everything you need to craft that great testimonial to focus on extracting the right kinds of information, the right transformational aspects. Um, you also got a hyperbole is a big problem in, in uh, testimonials where it's like, Oh, it's awesome. It's so great. It's changed my life. You know, as soon as people start reading that, you're like, nah, I'm calling, calling BS on that. Uh, and that's a problem. Cause if someone reacts that way, has immediately diminished their perception of you and it's doing the opposite kind of thing to what you were hoping to do. So never have false testimonials, never. Um, and if you have a great, you know, customer or something, but don't, that's why you need a script to get the right information. If you just say, Hey, can we get a testimonial? They might write something that's super generic and not what you need. You have to really try and extract the most important part of how it's helping them why it makes them feel great, why they remain a customer. That's the kind of information that will help you, you know, sell through the words of someone else. Yeah, ideally, like a script should be like kind of a before like unbounce and then, you know, then I used it and then after like here's the transformation. Yeah, definitely. And you can also, you know, interview people who left you if, if they'd be willing to do that because then you'll get some insight as to, maybe what you're doing wrong or, or how they weren't your ideal customer. Cause if, if someone leaves and that's affecting your churn, maybe you get upset about that. You know, <laughs> that's a bad thing. Not if you figure out who they are and go, oh, they weren't our target anyway. That's okay. Let's continue to design an experience for the people who are and be okay with that type of person leaving. Cause at the end of the day, they were only going to stay a few months anyway. And that, that just impacts your numbers in a negative way. No, I think you're right. I think um, hearing some of the negative feedback is is necessary to make improvements. Mm -hmm. uh, with that, we're going to go to our break. And then when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Ollie Gardner, co-founder of Unbounce. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back from our break, and I'm handing the mic to Jonathan Denwood. Oh, thanks, John. We're really looking forward to this, Ollie. You're a bit of a fanboy. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so um, what do you see, um, like some of the other... Um, top people in their sector that we've been interviewing recently. Um, to me, there seems to be a contradiction in marketing. You know, um, in some ways, there seems to be a trend about optimization using bolts um, to gather up utilizing artificial intelligence. And then there seems to be a trend where you, know, you, need, you need to be more personal about your marketing, more authentic. Um, there seems to be a contradiction. So how do you see that playing and what are some of the trends that you see coming up in the next 18 months 
around um, landing pages and online marketing in general? I think what's happening now is going to happen in the next two years is machine learning is going to be the differentiator um, in platforms. That's what we're working on right now. We have a predictive conversion algorithm, which can, you know, already can tell whether a page, just without seeing any traffic or anything, just looking at the, the words on the page can tell whether it's going to be a good or a bad page based on looking at tens of thousands of other pages that are similar. And uh, it's not perfect yet, but it's getting close. And that's just based on the words. We're going to be doing visual studies as well. And then we're, we're analyzing traffic right now to see how we can combine those to make it even better. And that would get down the personalization uh, you know, thing because analyzing the traffic, the information in the traffic coming in will, will help with that. And we have a couple of, uh, we have a university working with us, a bunch of people there doing the kind of visual side of the study. So it's, it's fascinating. I think that's where it's going to go. Uh, because, and it's not like the robots are coming, they're going to take our jobs. You know, there's, there's that, it's a legit fear, you know, the industrial revolution, robots came in and the automation, people lost their jobs. Marketers are scared that that's going to happen now, but it's not really the case. It's this the machine learning, artificial intelligence, it will just speed up how we get these insights, you know, because it, it can make decisions much more quickly than us and it can be constantly searching for signals and information and presenting to that to you more quickly than you could find it yourself and also surprising information. And we just put out a benchmark report, which is a study of 64,000 landing pages, 74 million interactions with those and in you know, different industries. So the, the main, the first part of it is, uh, you know, the, the conversion rates per industry. So you can look at that for yourself or for your clients and go, where do you stack up? Are you, you know, because a lot of people, a client will, or a boss will say, like, this is not good enough. Our conversion rate's terrible. You can look at this and go, actually, we're in the, the 75th percentile. So this is actually really good. And perhaps we shouldn't be optimizing this page because it's really good and it's going to be hard to make it better. Let's focus on the ones that are low performing. And, other stuff in there was a study, like I said, about all the, the words on your page. So sentiment, emotion, word count, and reading ease, and the impact they have on conversion. Because uh, reading ease, like the readability of this, how easy you can, how easy it is to understand from different grade levels. Say, you know, yeah. some pages actually need a level of complexity to perform well. Some need extreme simplicity, and the data we're getting is, is helping us figure this stuff out more quickly. It's, it's really interesting. And um, we talked about design earlier. One of the big problems, I'm doing a lot of research right now, one of the problems in marketing teams is how a designer, a marketer, and a copywriter work together. Designers are very frustrated. They're always being asked, oh, can you just make this look good, look pretty, or, you know, um, and it's kind of, Can you make it pop? Yeah, yeah. Can you make the logo bigger? Um, <laughs> so, but, and designers typically have to wait for the copy to be written before they can actually do a good job. Um, so they're sitting around kind of working on generic templating, you know, or just putting something together based on the competition or what they've done before, because they don't have the information they need at hand. And that's a, that's a broken process. So if we can bring data at the beginning of a project like that, a designer can start working, like say, knowing the reading ease, knowing that the word count, oh, maybe it's going to be a short page, knowing that this has to be um, 
the positive sentiment and high on joy, low on fear or whatever it is, because that's some of the stuff we're seeing in the data. Then they can start crafting a visual experience that communicates those emotions and things like that while they're waiting for the copy. So they're not sitting idly by and, and they're crafting an, an experience based on actual data and, and, you know, available information, which is a much smarter way to work. So I think it's going to, this is good going to help everybody, not just the marketer. It's, you know, I mean, for a copywriter, knowing that you should be uh, reading a level of, you know, grade four or five or six or something, you can go to a site like readable.io and paste your text in there and it'll tell you what level it is. It'll, it'll do some sentiment analysis so you can actually see what you're doing. Oh, there's a, I forget. I mean, if you search like Blue Note, IBM Watson or something, there's a emotion thing you can speak to it and it will or you can type it'll interpret what you're saying and it will show it has five emotions and it will show waves of where you're going in terms of whether there's lots of joy or fear i i was speaking, you're getting me worried ollie i know you're talking about <laughs> i lost your audio again what is up with this I, I, I just want to add to uh, really quick. I know what you're talking about. Um, I've actually experimented with that very recently with the Alchemy API, which is tied into Watson. Uh, there's actually a WordPress plugin called Watson Finds, which you oh, can nice. use to an- analyze your pages uh, using that same technology. So that's great. Yeah, it's really cool. You were saying um, with John um, about um, swapping the headline with the subheadline, and sometimes the subheadline, uh, and um, it, I totally agree with you, but um, I wonder if you can just give some tips to the audience about writing headlines because it, you know, putting, cutting something down to its core and uh, that really instantaneously explains what you're trying to sell or promote is not easy, is it? No, it's not at all. It's getting down to the the benefit that someone else perceives, not what you think it is. We did some experimentation on that by doing just little surveys in the bottom corner, using Hotjar, Qualaroo, asking people what the the reason they were coming to, to us was, like, or what was most important to them. Is it building pages fast? Is it the ability to do testing? Is it to get more conversions, blah, blah, blah. And we figured out, oh, getting more conversions is what people care about. And then we do more surveys to kind of narrow down the language. So instead of just saying our, our headline from the past, build, publish, and test landing pages by IIT, excuse me, because that speaks to one benefit, but it's not the core one. So now we're talking about get more conversions using landing pages or, or things like that, if you can figure out what people really, really care about, the, the true value they get, then you can, they can use the, that type of language. Doing those quick little surveys is a great way of understanding what people actually are looking for. Then you can just write that into your headline. You know, it's, just, it's just a better way of, of explaining yourself. Right, thanks for that. What about video? Because obviously you um, you had a little um, go at these, um, which you see a lot, these explainer videos. But on the other hand, video seems to Sorry, be... I lost you again. All right, there we go. I'm going to fire someone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're back. I didn't hear that. Oh, I'm back. I'm back, folks. Um, 
you had a, a slight go at these um, homepage videos, these explainer videos, yeah. but on the other hand, video seems to just to be getting more and more traction, YouTube, uh, visitors, Facebook Live, just in general, video marketing just seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Um, would you agree with that? And how, how are you going to use it in your own marketing and your own platform? Yeah, obviously, video is inevitable, but that kind of thing, it's not something you should just do because everyone else is doing it. You, you need to do it in the right way. Uh, we've used video for shows, like page fights we used to do, where we're critiquing landing pages. That was great. It was a lot of fun, but it didn't show our product. So it was entertaining, but so when we canceled that and we did landing page sessions, which was our, one of our most powerful campaigns, most successful we've ever done, it's because it was a critique, so it was useful. Uh, but it also, I jumped into the app to make the changes I was talking about. So people got to see the benefit of our product in use. That's a powerful use of video because it, it's actually showing why you should use the product instead of, you know. So you need to use video for the right reasons and put the right stuff in there. Otherwise, it's, it, it might just not be very helpful. Uh, and also recognize that not everyone's going to watch your video. So it's really great to look at the analytics because if only 10 or 20 or 30% of people are actually clicking play, you need to try and encourage more people to do that or you need to make sure your page communicates sufficiently without them seeing that. Uh, you can't just like put it there and think, oh, everyone's going to look at this because everyone wants to see a video. But then you need to look at the data as well, you know, from, from places like Wistia showing the type of thumbnail image you use is important for how many people will click it. Uh, it they did a test recently where they had a video image, I think it was in an email, but, um, and the click-through rate was like 1.7%. Then they just put a play button on top of it, and it went up by 40% because it was a semantic design. It was designed the way for what it is. Now it looks like a video because it's got a play button. Without that, it's just an image. So those subtle little things you can do can really have an impact on making sure people, more people, will watch your videos. Yeah, I'm getting the, I'm getting a trend in this um, in this interview that um, one of the key things I think you're saying to the audience is don't don't presume anything when it comes to online marketing because you're going to be probably totally wrong. You really got to have a real open mind and test and look at things uh, on a regular basis would you would you say that's one of the things that people tend to fail you know they build it and they just leave it yeah research is the single most important part of optimization and making business optimization everything you know i, I like to live my life through an optimization lens I, I, macgyvering is like the most fun thing i can ever do you know you've got to solve a problem you don't have a thing that you can use to solve it okay, I'm going to build the thing that I can use to solve this problem. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I just built a digital photography studio in our basement. And we moved into this house and there was a, a guy who'd been there for like 70 years. He's dead now, unfortunately. Um, but he left so much stuff around. There's two big workbenches. There's little bits of wood everywhere. So whenever I have a problem, I'd be like, uh, okay, I can, I can carve something out of that to make this thing work. And, you know, if you think about optimization that way in your every day, you'll become a better marketer. You'll be able to, you know, just do things 
um, in a in a better way. Uh, but yeah, that is one of the most important things is that you're constantly exploring, trying to get more evidence. So, Ollie, what are some of the people recently that you've been watching that's been influencing some of your views and um, how the market's going? What, what are some of the influencers that you've been looking at that you think our audience should also be watching or reading online? Uh, hmm, that's a good question. I, I'm on the road so much speaking that I don't pay as much attention to that kind of thing as I should. Uh, you know, I, mean, I, I get to see some amazing people speak, so that's where I get a lot of... Yeah, know. well, what's some of the, the speakers that you've seen recently, you know, that have impressed you, that you think that people could get some value from? Yeah, I remember... Uh, at our conference called Touching Conference, which is coming up in a few weeks in June in Vancouver. Uh, Matt Sweezy from Salesforce last year, he spoke at our conference. He had, what I love when you watch speakers is they'll just have these little gems that come in once in a while. He was talking about authentic um, marketing and he had uh, about, you have the, your customer journey and people need different content or experiences as they go through that. He had this great example where on a lead gen landing page, instead of on the confirmation, you give them the thing they asked for, this piece of content or whatever, he would give them, because he was talking about how people become more successful if they get to self, if they get to kind of do it themselves, instead of you saying, you should read this or do this. If they can find their own way, it's better. So instead of the one thing on the confirmation page, you give them three things two of them that were in line with what they were looking for at the level there. And the third one was the next level of progression toward, towards becoming a customer. So they could self, they go, oh, that's also interesting, and, and do that. They think they chose it themselves. So it, it kind of, they naturally get on that path. That was a great little technique. Um, I, I love watching Will Reynolds from Sear. He, he's just a great kind of human gut check. You know, when you think you're doing your marketing well, uh, you listen to someone like, like, like oh, okay, I've got to, I've got to get back to doing this the right way. And I, I, I really enjoy watching him speak. Um, there, it's interesting. We were searching for speakers this year. It's so hard to find people that maybe haven't been exposed very much, that have a new voice. And one of the things I did, I was speaking in Phoenix. It was my first gig of the year it's back in February. And I'm very competitive. I always ask for the speaker ratings afterwards. And I'm very often, like 76% last year, I'm top rated. And I, it was my first gig of the year. It was so good. I had such a great time. I knew I'd nailed it. And I came in number two. And I was like, ah, oh, who beat me? And... Um, I'm forgetting his name, something Farnsworth. He's speaking at our conference this year. I didn't see him speak, but I knew I was so good that day that if he beat me, I don't need to see a video, don't need to see anything. We're getting him at our, at our conference regardless. And so that kind of thing is, that was really cool. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him. I'm going to, as we're writing this speaking, I'm going to see, I apologize to him for not remembering his name. Like I said, I so you have the conference. It's a lot of work running the conference. Where, um, what 
how do you see the conference really benefit the company and how, do, how does the conference really fit in to what the business is trying to achieve achieve you know because it is a lot of work isn't it it is a huge amount of work but it's it's of massive importance it's one of the best last year our conference was so good it was one of the proudest moments of my career you know our first few were great but this one was really exceptional um and it, it just it, it's really important for building your brand i mean for us in vancouver it's kind of this shining light of events in vancouver it's it's, it's important for the city. It's important for the tech community in the city. And, you know, we'll have like a, an even split of half of them will be customers and half will be people who are not customers. And you might think, oh, we want all, we want 100% not customers because that's you know, a better, better, better chance of getting more, you know, customers. But that's not the case. You want that mix of customers because they're going to sell it for you. They're going to talk about your product with these people and why they love it, why it's successful. And that's a much more powerful organic experience for people to actually become customers. But I, I, it's just, I don't know, it, it makes everybody feel great. You know, the, seeing this massive crowd and these banners outside the theater, we did the Queen Elizabeth Theater, which is a stunning, uh, massive old theater. And it just makes everybody feel great you know, in the company. It's something to feel proud of and... I don't know. It's it's really exciting. I love getting around to this time of year. Uh, except I haven't finished my talk yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't worry. We're not going to take up much more of your time. Um, um, I think also, you know, it's the same in the WordPress area. You know, WordCamps, WordCamp USA. Mm-hmm. It's a way of building. It's a overused cliche now, but it's still you still can use it with some truth. And I think in the WordPress community, the WordCamps, WordCamp USA does build community and does um, one of the major factors for the growth of WordPress worldwide. So I can clearly see why you um, run your own conference because I think it just kind of um, really builds bonds with your um, user base, your developers and everybody. Um, Another um, thing is, you know, obviously um, it's been a great journey, you know, mm-hmm. starting the company. It's not easy. It's probably yeah. one of the most hardest things you can do. Um, I'm on my third company now. Um, um, what what would be some of the things that you would say to you to you, you uh, when you were starting this journey that would have helped the process if you had known them at the beginning? Uh, sorry, I missed the start because it's coming out again. Oh, so, but you were lucky. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you know, obviously it's a long journey. What was, yeah. if you could go back to the beginning with the mm-hmm. experience you have now, would there be a couple tips or insights you could tell yourself that would have helped with some of the um, problems in the journey? Um, I used to say that I wouldn't change anything, you know, that I'd go back in time and kiss myself on the mouth and and just like, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I I think as a a modern marketer, you need a mix of a couple of things to be successful. I think you need to learn how to write. A lot of people are scared of writing, but you should start from day one because that helps you communicate and that's going to be better for you, the, 
your whole journey. Uh, speaking, I didn't do it for years. I was terrified, but now I do it. It's the best thing I've ever done. It, it makes you a better person. It makes you a better communicator. It, it's it's great for your for your brand. Um, and know a little bit of coding. You know, just some simple, even if it's hacking your WordPress site to make it a bit more relevant and better for the experience you want to do. Those are great skills to have because the more you can do in that way, um, the better. And of course, being data, data driven is the, the buzzword, but data informed is more important. I think, you know, we, we can't let go of our creativity. Um, so we should use data to inform our decisions, but having that mindset early on is really important. Obviously we did, because of the product we're building. So we were always very data centric, but not everybody is. And I think it's really important. Um, one final question, and I'll throw it over to John to see if he's got one, is that, you know, um, we have a very broad audience of business owners, designers, consultants, developers, all in the digital world um, with a focus on WordPress. As a slightly outsider to the WordPress community, what are some of the strengths and weaknesses that you've probably observed about WordPress? Uh, I think the strength is that anyone can get something set up quickly, which is amazing for, for a startup or something. You can, you can have a website up in, you know, in a day. Uh, the danger is, like I was mentioning about the, some of the themes, is that you can have you can create a bad experience accidentally or without even knowing it because you might not be an expert in interaction design and uh, behavior. Uh, so I think that's definitely one of the problems with it. Uh, people get, you know, fall in love with having all these flashy things. And one of the worst examples is scroll jacking where someone thought it was a great idea to try and take over the scrolling of your, of your page um, which is just it's, it's just absolutely the worst possible I mean, that's something that's been you know was figured out 20 years ago when the browsers were kind of invented don't try and change that you know it's like when you're trying to scroll it does it for you and it's moving and you're like ah and you can't actually get to where you want to go and it's so infuriating when i see any page or site like that, I leave immediately. I'm just like, you're doing it wrong. I can't stand this. Or I record a video and I put it in a talk, <laughs> which is more often than not. Uh, great answer. Um, John, you got any, any final question before we, wrap, we start wrapping it up, John? One final question. I know that you pride yourself on being uh, an exceptional speaker and, and presenter in every event you try and outshine everyone else. <laughs> uh, what are some tips that you would give to, to people um, you know, going out and speaking and, and just uh, learning how to do that. I would read How to Deliver a TED Talk by Jeremy Donovan. There are many out there. That's the best. It's a fantastic. He, he analyzed and kind of reverse engineered a little bit, I guess, a lot of TED Talks, why they're successful. And he has some great structural stuff in there. That's, that's what I, I read that when I started doing this. And then I also, I watched a TED Talk every day on my commute to work, which was happened to be 18 minutes on the bus and most TED talks were 18 minutes. So by the time I got to work, I was like, I'm going to change the world. you know. <laughs> and I was learning And there's one uh, Australian guy about hand gestures and how the way you use your hands can communicate differently to the audience. Search for that one because it's, it's incredible by having palms up is a more friendly 
approach and people will be more receptive to you as opposed to if you have your palms down or you're pointing and things like that. It's just a fact. These little things uh, are, you know, um, there's another, uh, I don't know, just, just watching that kind of thing can really help inspire you to do the right thing and practice a lot. You have to care about the craft, about trying to get better. You know, so that's an important aspect. No, I love that. I, I, I love the, the, the dialogue about the, the hands and stuff. That's very much like how the uh, Roman orators like taught the, right. the emperors how to speak and stuff like that. So um, with that, we'll let everybody know how they can find you. Uh, Ollie, how do we find you online and anything that you would uh, like us to check out? Ollie Gardner on Twitter is the, is the best and fastest way usually. I'm very responsive on there, so I, I would just say that's the best way to reach out. And I think, uh, yeah, just our, when's this going live? Is it? Um, it'll be like, what, what is it? Like Saturday? By sa- Saturday? Probably okay, Saturday. Cool. We turn these around like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. June 25th to 27th in Vancouver, our call to action conference. It's going to be amazing this year. Tyler Farnsworth was the name of the guy. Okay, we'll link all this stuff up in show notes as well. Yeah, um, and search for our, our conversion benchmark report. The data in that's fascinating, and it can really help in some new marketing. Excellent. Jonathan, how do we get a hold of you? Anything you want uh, us to check out? Oh, no, I'm reasonably easy to find, folks. If you do Jonathan Denwood in search, I'm all over there. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Jonathan Denwood on Facebook, or you could use the email Jonathan at wp-tonic.com. If you send me a personal message, you'll get a personal reply. Um, we love feedback. Um, give us a review on iTunes, but we love feedback from the audience about if you enjoyed this interview, I, I totally enjoyed it, um, and um, what some of the things you would like us to um, speakers and uh, what would you like us to discuss that would help you, wouldn't we, John? Definitely. And uh, you can find me at lockdowndesign.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm lockdown underscore. Just follow my Facebook page, just lockdown design. Uh, don't forget in episode 194, we've got coming up, we're going to have a discussion on useful WordPress plugins. Uh, episode 195, we're going to be talking to Bill Gadless from Imagine. And episode 197, we're going to be talking with Amy Porterfield. Uh, so those are some episodes to check out. For the WP Tonic, we're saying peace out and get your dose. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.